0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. In the studio with me today is Dr. Hans Vogt, professor, Ulster County Community College. Hi, nice. Dan. Good to see you again. It's been a while. And Pastor Mark Diedrich. Mark, it's great to have you here. Good to be here, Dan. Well, with these fine gentlemen in the studio today, we know it's uh, probably going to be a subject concerning history. Hans, you recommended that we talk about World War I. And uh, you're kind of like my historical conscience, so that means something significant is here. Maybe you can help us understand why you would recommend, at this time, for us to talk about World War One.
1: Well, this summer marks the 100th anniversary of the beginning of what, at the time, they called the Great War. Of course, they didn't call it World War I until World oh. War II came along. Yeah, They didn't know there was going to be a sequel, and like most sequels, it was worse than the original.
0: It's been 100 years Plus a couple of weeks, approximately. Growing up, you know, my age, I've heard more about World War II than I have World War One. Um, you teach classes in history. Is do you find that's the case at the college also?
1: Yes, it's it's somewhat of a forgotten war. I mean, yeah. uh, there's a lot of interest in the Revolution, a lot of interest in the Civil War, a lot of interest in World War Two, uh, to a lesser extent Vietnam. Yeah, but World War One very often does get overlooked,
0: and, and if my dad was in the room, he'd remind us about Korea also. Exactly. <laughs> that's right, yeah. And Mark, how about your experience? You,
2: yeah, I, my wife's grandparents, grandfathers, I think were involved with World War One, mm-hmm. and so you see that it's a generation thing that's gone away. And I think part of the reason though, is to, if you look at World War One. And I'm one of those people who say, "What in the world were we doing getting involved?" Yes. Um, you know, what is this thing all about? Why did we have World War One? We can understand the specter of Nazism and, and the mm-hmm. the wickedness and and the evil that that propounded. For us getting involved in World War II. Yeah. But in World War I, you didn't have that kind of specter
0: yeah. looking so over you. You're already uh, helping me here, Mark, and that is <laughs> the first question. Maybe, Hans, the start of World War I, um, why, what's happening such that this great war begins?
1: It, it is really, uh, um, when you first look at it, very perplexing. <clears throat> uh, and,
0: it, and it comes after
1: a century of pretty much peace. Uh, and prosperity in Europe. It's, it's mm-hmm. actually the longest stretch in European history without a major war between the European powers. Uh, since Napoleon goes into exile in 1815, to the start of the war in 1914, there are some minor wars in between there, but no major all-out war it's the longest century like that in, in European history.
0: Mm. So were there... People aligning with each other, or help us understand what's what's going on now in the mix of nations. Maybe,
1: yeah. I mean, there's a number of things going on. You, you've, you know, we said it's a, a century of peace, prosperity. You have incredible advances in terms of technology, in terms of science, in terms of medicine, the industrial revolution, uh, the spread of democracy. Most European and Western countries have become democratic to one extent or another hmm. uh, by the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, there were many uh, evangelical Christians in Europe and America who uh, believed that the millennium was at hand, that, that you know things were getting better and better, and mm-hmm. uh, the, the final uh, reign of Jesus Christ on earth might be imminent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so nobody was really expecting what happened in the 20th century, that you would have this devastating war followed by an even more devastating war.
0: took them by surprise. Yes. Yeah. What about... Um, you gave me a write up before we got together mm-hmm. something about uh, the Ottoman maybe I'm jumping ahead empire how did that tie in well, You really got a gun here a little bit no pun intended <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well you basically what you have at the beginning of the 20th century is uh, two rival alliance systems you have the Triple Alliance which were the great powers in the center of Europe Germany the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and Italy, and then opposed to them the Triple Entente, which consisted of Great Britain, France, and the Russian Empire.
0: Hmm.
1: And you would think, and, and part of the idea behind the alliance system was that if you divide the six great powers into equal you know, opposing alliances, that will help keep the balance of power and keep the peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it ended up not doing that uh, the way it was supposed to. And really it has a lot to do with the power of nationalism and very much influenced by Darwinism uh, at the beginning of the 20th century.
0: I didn't know we were in a biology class here today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, as I'm sure many
1: of our listeners know, uh, Darwinism uh, was put to many uses and social Darwinism. The application Mm -hmm. of Darwin's theory of evolution to human societies was very widely accepted among the the leading and, uh, classes and in the intelligentsia of Europe and America at that time. And this idea of survival of the fittest, uh, if you translate that into the world of nation states, how do you prove that you're the best nation? Well, you prove it through war. You prove it the yeah. same way animals prove it, you, by fighting and by dominating everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so you get this very strident and aggressive form of nationalism to try to prove that you're the top dog
0: the um thing then that led to the immediate uh, final declaration of war what it, it looks like things are starting to build up could you bring us up closer now to that ignition point if you will
1: sure well it it really boils down to two things i mean you have first of all uh, a newly unified germany germany comes together as a nation in 1871 it's the new kid on the block it feels more strongly the need to prove itself by aggressively acquiring an overseas empire, building up its army and navy, challenging Great Britain, who is the reigning superpower, and generally getting everybody else very uneasy. And then Austria-Hungary, its ally, is looking to expand southward into uh, the region we call the Balkans or Mm -hmm. southeastern Europe. What's happening is the Ottoman Empire is collapsing and decaying. It had dominated that region for centuries. Oh, there it is. Okay. Yeah, you are right. It's it's in there. I read your notes. (laughs) And uh, uh, Austria and Russia are kind of jockeying for position there. Uh, And the small nations that were there, Serbia and Romania and Bulgaria, were fighting some wars among themselves to try to control the region. Uh, And then in the midst of all that, you have this terrorist group operating. Even back then, we had terrorists and, really, uh, yes. called the Black Hand, okay, hmm. yeah. and one of their terrorists is actually a, a teenage uh, boy named Gavrilo Princip, assassinates the Archduke Francis Ferdinand, the heir to the throne of Austria Hungary, hmm. as he's making a state visit to Sarajevo, the capital of Bosnia Province, on June twenty eighth, and that assassination, uh, in which the Archduke and his wife Sophia and their unborn child are all killed. Mm. that's going to be the spark that sets off this great fire.
0: Okay, Mm -hmm. right. Then, after this, who declares war first?
1: It's an interesting uh, maneuver. Austria-Hungary had been looking for an excuse to declare war on Serbia and crush it, and so now they had their excuse. But first they have to make sure Germany will back them up, so they get assurances from Kaiser Wilhelm, the Emperor of Germany, that they'll support them. Hmm. Uh, Then they have to wait for the army to return from vacation— literally uh (laughs) which is why they wait a month to declare war. hold on
0: boys not war yet we're vacationing (laughs)
1: yeah well you don't want to declare a war when your army isn't there it's a bad idea (laughs) so finally on july 28th a month after the assassination austria declares war on
0: serbia oh there there's that date july 28th okay right now
1: Mm -hmm. it could have ended there it could have been another short little war but here's where the alliances come into play russia is allied with Serbia, so Russia starts mobilizing its army, the biggest in Europe, to try to to help Serbia out. So Hmm. Germany starts mobilizing its army, and you have an exchange of telegrams back and forth between the Russian Tsar, Nicholas II, and the German Kaiser, Wilhelm II. They're called the willy Nicky telegrams because that's what they called each other. (laughs) They were first cousins. That's interesting. Really? And And they're on opposite
0: sides, first cousins. Yes. Oh, year. And and also
1: uh King uh, George of England is also first cousin along with them. They're all the grandchildren of Queen Victoria hmm. and Prince Albert. In fact, if you look at photographs, you can tell they're they're all related. They all clearly look good. It's terrible. Yes.
0: Oh my. Mm-hmm. So this uh July 28th, um what is it? Austria-Hungary uh, declares war against Serbia. Serbia. Right. But then other things happen. Right. Well, on on August
1: 1st, uh Germany declares war on Russia.
0: Well, oh, they, didn't, they didn't wait too long. Wow. <laughs>
1: nope. Telegrams didn't work. Well, then, uh, when that, uh, their plans, they had plans that had been drawn up several decades earlier uh, by uh, their generals, their, their general staff, Imperial Command, that if they were going to fight a war, it would be a two front war against France mm. and Russia. Mm. And they assumed that France would back up their ally Russia the way they had backed up their ally Austria. Okay. So they didn't wait for France to decide what to do. They simply went ahead and invaded France through Belgium, which mm. was a small, neutral country mm. caught in the middle. That, okay. in turn, triggered Great Britain to declare war on Germany because they were appalled by what the Germans had done, in, particularly in attacking Belgium. Which so is complicated. It's very complicated. Mm. So you've got five of the six great powers in one week declare war. Oh, that's Italy... Stays out for a year. They wait to see which side makes the better offer. Mm-hmm. And when Britain and France make a better offer, they will enter the war in 1915 on the side of Britain and France, mm-hmm. even though they were previously allied with well, Germany. And interesting.
0: Austria. All right. So they they move down here. They're on this side now, the Britain yeah. and F- France. Well, that's um, that's a that's a fine mess. <laughs> um, so where do things go from here? From adverse. What, what's, what's next? Yeah. Well, and, uh, There must be a lot of worried mommies around.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, most uh, of the participants are very confident when this starts out. Ah, they're yes. sure they're going to win. Everybody's sure we're the best nation. Of course we're going to win. Yes. Uh, Kaiser Wilhelm tells his troops, you will be home before the snow flies. <laughs> I remember, it's August. He's saying this will be over before winter comes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a few skeptics. The, the most famous is probably the British Foreign Secretary Sir Edward Gray, who said, the lights are going out one by one all across Europe. We shall not see them lit again in our lifetime. Wow. And of course, it was Sir Gray who was correct, mm-hmm. uh, not Kaiser oh,
0: Wilhelm. As the war goes on, I can't help but think how many people died as a result of this terrible mess, this great war. Must be millions. millions. It's
1: staggering. Around 10 million. Military deaths, Combatants. yeah, and perhaps that many civilian deaths. Oh, and really? when you add in casualties, uh, people who are wounded and permanently disabled, it's in the you know just the tens of millions. Uh, it's it, terrible. It's the worst yeah. loss of life, of course, until it, World War II, which will exceed know. it by a factor of three.
0: Oh, is that right? yeah. that was yeah. my next question? Yeah. yeah, okay. And of course, there's, there's also the the deaths.
2: Following that, because of the damage done by the uh, mustard
0: gas, right, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the then the post-war piece.
1: flu pandemic, which may have killed yeah. another fifty million worldwide, right. right after the war ends.
0: Really, why would that be tied to the war?
1: Because uh, where the the flu takes the greatest toll of life is areas that where the infrastructure has been destroyed by the war. Gotcha. The medical okay. facilities aren't there. The people who have already been weakened. makes sense war wounds are going to succumb more easily to Mm. influenza
0: any lessons even at this point in our discussion today any lessons that come forward i mean i'm i'm thinking if you go to war you better be very sure of what you're doing and don't don't go to war willy-nilly
1: well yeah i mean certainly the arrogance of power yeah Uh, Mm -hmm. we've talked many times in the show about you know, just war theory and that you need to have right. a very good reason. It should be the last resort. All other options Definitely. should be exhausted. I don't think there's any way you can call this the just war. Right. Wow.
0: Yeah. What we, were some of the, um, let me take a, a little tour down uh, the technical side, Mark. What were some of the weaponry that was used during uh, World War One? Yeah. World War I is the start of a new technology for
2: wars, if you will, you know, of course we had the Civil War and uh, even the Napoleonic Wars, uh, most of the weaponry that was used were single shot rifles, okay. uh, muzzle loaded at that. Mm-hmm. Even though in the Civil War you actually had the Gatling gun starting to be used, Just which the is uh, yeah. uh, there, this this war, suddenly you have the regular army uh, soldier has a repeating bolt-action rifle. Some of them mm-hmm. have the, uh, the Maxim machine guns. Uh, the machine guns are being developed. Okay. Tanks, the artillery is being developed uh, hugely. Before, with your artillery, you're looking at your enemy and you're looking at them and trying to fire at them. Now you've got artillery that can actually fire beyond where you can see. So if you know where you want to to place things, Mm -hmm. uh, you can do that. And And was that
0: an exploding ordinance?
2: uh, Some of it was, yes, definitely some. And, of course, they had that even, I think, in the American Revolution. You had mortars that would explode. Mm -hmm. But there again, it was like throw it up in the air. We we don't know where it's going to land, and and we're not sure what's there. Now Mm -hmm. you're actually saying, I I think we know what's over there, and how do you know that? Mm -hmm. Hot air balloons? and airplanes and and the airplane was was a huge uh, change in addition to that you had tanks that were coming and then you had the poison gas and so yes there's a lot of things that were developing now the key thing with the airplane it was more of an observation thing Mm -hmm. and we had the fighters and you know you've got the red baron and and Snoopy, Snoopy up there in, yeah. in his Stop With Camel, <laughs> you know. But you're looking at that, and, and it's just developing. And actually, even during the war, I believe Zeppelin's, the big Zeppelin mm-hmm. dropped some bombs in London, if I remember correctly, mm. with little effect. Okay. Honestly, with little effect, except for the psychological aspect. Well, a number of the nations actually developed heavy bombers, Great Britain developed the Handley Page. The Stocken and the uh, Gotha bombers were developed by Germany. Igor Sikorsky developed a big bomber for Russia. Mm-hmm. They weren't terribly effective, but it really portended the bombers that were going to be coming in World War II, okay. which
0: would be devastating. And, and perhaps it, it um, caused people to fear seeing these new weapons. Right. Uh, A raid against them.
1: Well, what it creates is a stalemate. You know, after the initial German advance into France is halted at the First Battle of the Marne, September 1914, both sides dig in. They dig trenches and fortifications stretching from the North Sea all the way down to the Rhine River. And for four years, this will just be the most ghastly slaughter. Unimaginable. Oh dear. Um, In part because they can't figure out how to use the new technology effectively. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, for example, with the the, the long range artillery bombing, uh, this became a factor in the British Somme offensive in 1916. They believed their long range artillery had smashed the German lines, and they told their men, go forward, you won't find any resistance. It hadn't at all. They were wrong. And the first day of the Psalm was the worst slaughter in the entire history of of Great Britain.
2: Oh, dear.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, You you know, I mean, just if you think about some of the numbers, 1916, the Psalm offensive, 420,000 soldiers die. That's just British soldiers. And they gain six miles.
0: Oh, dear. That's a huge number to lose. Imagine the mothers. Yeah. Oh, dear. And
1: uh, while that's going on, the French and Germans are fighting at Verdun, Yeah. one of the few set-piece battles of this war. They're going to be at it the whole year, pretty much. Between them, they'll kill over 700,000 at Verdun, and the Germans can't take Verdun. If you go to Verdun today, the the monument, there's, of course, a military cemetery, Mm -hmm. but there's a a big memorial hall called the Ossuary, which means bone collection. And what's inside this impressive building are clear glass cases filled with bones. Oh, my. And they were, at the time, the unidentifiable remains of French and German soldiers all mixed together.
0: Oh, dear.
1: Mm -hmm. And it it was meant not just to be a a memorial to a battle, but a warning not to do this again. That's right. Uh, Unfortunately, a warning that went unheeded, as we know. Yes,
0: yes. So the war continues. Um... How does it finally wind down? Is there a clear winner, loser? What goes on here?
1: Well, we have to bring the U.S. into this we'll bring war. The US we in, haven't yeah. done this yet. No, yeah. there there you go. we come. There you go. Uh, you know, it's interesting. When the war first out starts out, most Americans are watching from the sidelines, so to speak, on the other side of the Atlantic, and saying, you know, thank God we're not okay. involved in that.
0: I often feel that way, actually. That's a typical response. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Who wants to get involved with a war? Yeah, right. Right. yeah,
1: um, and and there, are, I mean, there are some. There are many immigrants, immigrant men who will go back home and enlist and fight in their country's sure. uh, armies. They've, there are some who will, for example, there are several thousand Polish Americans who will form the Polish Legion, and they are fighting not so much for one side as the other, as to to restore an independent Poland after the war. Okay, um, but for President Woodrow Wilson, it's a real quandary. Woodrow Wilson's a, a devout Presbyterian, he does not want to get involved in this war, and yet he sees an opportunity, he thinks, to lead the rest of the world to finally embrace the American model of of peace and democracy, and he has this grand vision that that this can be the war to end all wars, that Mm -hmm. finally Europeans will see the madness of their ways, and he tries repeatedly to negotiate a peace settlement. But the leaders of the countries involved are not interested. And you might think, well, you know, how many hundreds of thousands have to die before they're interested in peace? But what happens is kind of sad, but if you think about it, it's logical. The more the casualties mount, the more important it is to win. That's Mm -hmm. exactly right. You can't kill a million of your soldiers and not win the war. Very true. So they can't. Negotiate a settlement. They have to try to win.
0: Aren't people feeling that way right now in the current situation yes. with Iraq? Yes. We lost our red blooded American boys for this. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, so America feels that they must enter the war at
2: some point. Well, there's a couple things that foment that. First, it was the one of the, the developments I forgot to mention was the uh U boats, the submarines. Oh, yes. And uh, one of the U boats sank the passenger ship the Lusitania with a lot of loss of American life. And that of course outraged people, yes. just as you shooting down of a an airliner does That's today. Right. That's right. And and so you have the outrage there and then and then that didn't get us in, but it did set up the the pathway then when finally we had the Zimmerman letter that was recovered and that was uh, a zimmerman letter essentially said if mexico if you you help out we'll return texas and all those states back to you so that was the germans the germans involvement yes, there. Yes. okay and so at that point so there's a real threat then oh yeah to, to and, and that, I, that's that that just scandalized okay. the, uh, the united states and And I think that probably more than anything brought us in. Hans, you would...
1: Yeah, I mean, the the uh, Lusitania is 1915. um, Germany, what happens is Germany basically after that promises, okay, we'll stop sinking passenger ships. Uh, And they do for a while. Okay. Uh, But then in February 1917, Germany announces we're resuming unrestricted submarine warfare. Mm -hmm. U.S. breaks off diplomatic relations, still doesn't declare war. Then, in March, the Zimmerman telegram uh, is intercepted by the British and turned over to the Americans, Hmm. Uh, and still Wilson is reluctant, but what he finally decides is this, if I can't negotiate a peace by being neutral, then what I have to do is enter the war, win it, and then dictate the peace treaty Mm -hmm. as the victor. And so April 1917, he goes to Congress, he asks for a declaration of war, and Congress declares war. Hmm. Did you notice what I said there?
0: I, I couldn't help but notice, because I, <laughs> I'm on alert on this issue. Congress declares war. Thank you very much. That is what the much. Constitution says, yeah. Yes.
1: So, but it takes the U.S. over a year to raise an army, train it, wow. equip it. They have to institute the draft. I mean, there's a, there's a draft at the end of, of yeah. the Civil War. This is the first war where the U.S. relies on a conscripted army. 72% of troops in World War I are conscripted, mm-hmm. versus 8% of Union troops, slightly mm-hmm. higher number for Confederate troops in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. But when they're first training them in the summer of 1917, they're literally doing infantry drills with broomsticks, because they have no guns.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Uh, so it's not until the late spring, early summer of 1918, that the two-million-man American army arrives in France.
0: Well, there must be a tremendous buildup of arms and practice and training and supplies during that time. Although, you'd have to add here that we did have Americans going over
2: before this time. Yes. We had a number, especially in the aviation area, we had a number... Of uh, well, it was called the Lafayette Escadrille, which mm-hmm. was a a group of Americans that were flying for France. You know, now fellas, I um
0: here. I've been looking at the time here, and I realize, oh wow, we we're out of time. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so we still have a lot to talk about. So maybe we can continue this uh, on another Plain Answer. But in summary, I'm really interested in in some of the things you guys have talked about, um, the things that would lead us to war the cautions that we really need to have um, as we realize it's always more costly than what we estimated. Right. Any any comments, uh, words of wisdom for maybe America's future leaders? We might have some young people that are listening to this today that are going to be involved in a decision uh, at the national level. Um, how would you uh, counsel them?
1: I, I think it's always tempting to think we can, especially the United States, we can solve a new problem We can fix anything. Mm -hmm. We can make the rest of the world just like us. And that's not reality. No,
0: no. And and
1: that's not to say there aren't times when we do need to intervene and we do need to take an active role. But we need to be very careful about, again, that arrogance of just assuming that every problem is solvable by military force
0: almost sounds like the book of proverbs coming out here and Mm. cautions against arrogance and lifting yourself up mark yeah that's that's exactly right and to even
2: think that we can cause peace we need to understand the reality of this world is that it is a fallen world it is sinful Mm. and and uh, the only one who is going to give peace is god Yes, you know psalm 46 he breaks the bow in sunder and and he's the one who makes the peace and he he's warned us we're going to have wars and rumors of wars.
0: Hmm. Well, that's a good place to end, and we'll pick it up again, God willing, in a future Plain Answer, not long from today. In the room with me today has been Dr. Hans Vogt, professor Ulster County Community College, Pastor Mark Diedrich. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and a quick reminder, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.